I'm going to talk about heaven today. Um, I, I haven't ever been there, so I'm not an expert. Um, and actually, when I, when I told my dad what I was talking about today, he's like, oh, you've been there? Um, no, I haven't been there. Um, so I just want to put a little disclaimer up front. Um, there's a lot of things we can know from Scripture, and there's a lot of mystery. Um, there's things that we read that are almost two opposite truths that sometimes seem to... Uh, compete. For, for example, God is justice and God is love. Those are two equal truths. And at times, it's easy to focus on one and not the other. Um, but there's mystery in there. And so today we're going to talk about a little bit of mystery. Um, I first started thinking about heaven probably oh, 15 years ago. And uh, my thoughts are very immature. I, I would think about this all the time. It was like the same thing. I would imagine I was on a, I was like, this is what heaven's going to be like for me. I'll be on this mountain snowboarding, and I'll come down to the very end, and I'll go off this huge jump, and in midair, my snowboard will turn to a surfboard, and I'll land on this wave, and then I'll <laughs> surf that, and then I'll come up to the beach, and that'll be my wife, Jennifer, in a bikini, making grilled cheese, <laughs> and uh, making grilled cheese the size of my face, and you know, with a giant chilled vat of Dr. Pepper, and then I'll just keep doing that over and over again. Um, but then, you know, like one day I realized that like would be awesome for me, but I don't think she would enjoy that too much. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I, I really got to start thinking seriously about this because I'm just wasting time if I'm thinking about these weird things. But that actually would be cool. Minus the grilled cheese. I don't know what I was thinking with grilled cheese. Like, go to heaven. <laughs> heaven is grilled cheese. I don't, I don't know where that came from, but that's what it always was, it was grilled cheese. Um, so I started thinking seriously about it. I was like, okay, I need to start thinking seriously about heaven. I'm going to end up there, hopefully. Um, I'm on my way there. Um, so let me start thinking about it and thinking about it seriously. So I was like, well, what's the best way to start? Where can I start looking in Scripture? So I went back to the Garden of Eden, you know, man, uh, man's original paradise that God had created. And I started looking around um, there and started thinking about it, read Revelations. Um, there's things that Jesus says about it. And so as I started thinking about these things, I started to get kind of a picture of heaven. And then through the years, I've read two books that further influenced my thinking, and we'll talk about those today. Um, but why heaven? Why talk about heaven? Uh, one is power. In this book, um, I got this book. It's actually at the New Braunfels Library, if you guys, if anybody's interested after today. It's called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's just full of scripture. It's just scripture after scripture after scripture. Um, but in this book, he talks about a, a swimmer. A couple of years ago, she had, well, actually a long time ago, she had swum the English, English Channel, and she was getting ready to swim from California to Catalina Island. And it was a real foggy day, and she had the boat, you know, there with her. And um, Towards the end, she just was like, I can't do it anymore. You know, she, it was so foggy, she could barely even see the boat. So she called the boat over, you know, I'm done, I'm done, I want to get off. I want to finish the swim, get on the boat. And then we're like, no, no, keep going, keep going. Um, and so she finally gets on the boat, and she was half a mile from shore. She had lost sight of her destination. And, lost, and afterwards, when they interviewed her, she was like, if I had known I was that close, I could have made it. I could have dug deep and made it. Um, in Philippians, it says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying we have to press on towards the goal. 
Um, so it gives us power in our life. When we think about heaven, when we think about our ultimate destination, there's a power for our daily lives. Um, and then this truth. Heaven is truth. Heaven will be our eternal home. Um, and in Revelation it says that uh, Satan opens his mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So we know that Satan, the father of lies, actively is spewing lies about heaven. He lies about everything, and heaven included. Um, and so the church, I think, over the years has gotten like a wrong picture of heaven. I know when I was a boy, you know, kind of my image of heaven, you know, just from all the jokes you hear of St. Peter at the pearly gates and stuff. So you just, you just start to pick up all these images that you've picked up along the way from your culture um, and the church. And I think I, I just really thought, like, when I get to heaven, it's just going to be like this big bureaucracy. You know, I'm going to have to fill out paperwork. And, you know, I'm just, and then some angel is going to show me the place that just prepare for me, you know. Like the millionth person he's showing it to today is going to be bored. Uh, here's your place. Here's your keys. Enjoy it. You'll be there here a long time. Um, and so, you know, I think Satan wants us to think of heaven as a boring place. And that's another thing we think of. We think of heaven as a place that, oh, we're going to sit on the clouds all day and worship God. And, you know, a lot of preachers will say it's like an endless church service. That sounds horrible, right? <laughs> like, who wants to go there? So when, when we think about heaven, we wanna, we wanna th- it's, we're thinking about truth. And we're counteracting the lies that Satan spread throughout time. Um, and then reality, you know, you could think, and initially, you know, when I was thinking about heaven with the snowboard and the surfing and all that, um, you know, you can escape from reality by thinking about heaven. But actually, what I've found is that when you think about heaven, it forces you to think about the fundamental nature of reality. Because heaven is more real than even this place. And as I think about heaven, it makes you think, okay, well, what's going to survive? What from here is going to survive? And that starts the winnowing process where you get down to what's real, to what matters. Um, And so I just want to say that again. Thinking about heaven makes you examine the fundamental nature of reality. Not escapist, it's as real as it gets. And then pleasing God. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So basically it's saying, if anyone wants to please God, they must believe that he exists and that he rewards us. And when I, when I read this verse, I think about Christmas. You know, you, you're so excited as a parent to give your kids gifts. And imagine if they were just like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. Imagine, you know, you think about when you, when you see your kids and they're shaking the boxes and they're trying to figure out what's in there. And they're just getting all excited, and they get up at like, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning, Christmas Day. Imagine if you had to pull them out of bed, and they were just like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, we can open the presents after, after dinner. Um, and they weren't excited, you know, think about what that would do to your heart. I, I believe, and I, I think Hebrews 11.6 backs me on this, that we can actually please God by thinking about heaven. Because when we start thinking about heaven, it's basically saying, I believe you. I believe that this is where I'm going. I can't see it. I've never seen it. I, I don't see it, you know, in my life, day-to-day life. But I believe it's coming. And I'm going to start thinking about it. I'm going to read what you've said about it. Um, I'm going to go to the next slide. It says, this is uh, God in Second Corinthians. He said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Heaven is a physical place 
and God is going to walk with us. God who's outside of heaven and or outside of space and time, he's spirit, and yet he's going to choose to make his dwelling with us. He will walk with us, just like he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. Um, heaven is going to be here, and I'll get back on that in a minute, but just in case we run out of time, I want to just kind of run through a couple of things about heaven. The new heavens and the new earth will be here. It'll be dynamic. We think of earth as being static or heaven is being static, that it's just going to be um, the same. Like, we're going to get there, we're going to be perfect. What's so great about that? Nothing's going to change. It's just going to be the same thing for eternity. But heaven is a dynamic place, changing, full of adventure. And if you look at the heart of God, the heart of God is adventure. So heaven's going to be a very exciting place, constantly changing. We'll have jobs. You look at Adam when he was in the Garden of Eden. God gave him responsibility. Uh, he, he placed him in charge of the animals he had him, uh, and the earth. He gave Adam dominion over the earth. In the Bible, it says that we will judge angels, which is, um, that's a job, you know. Um, and then there, it will be a continuation of this life in the sense of the Bible talks about rewards. That we can store up for ourselves eternal rewards. Um, and this is a... Uh, C.S. Lewis from the book The Great Divorce. I'd really recommend you guys reading The Great Divorce. It, it's a, C.S. Lewis wrote it. It's a fantasy, basically. He, he, um, it's, it's you know like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's fiction. He, he basically, as a character, he's in hell, and he takes a day trip to heaven with a bunch of other people. And you know, it's a book about, it's just a fantasy about the eternal life. And this book impacted me more than any other book I've ever read. Because I think until I read that book, I always looked at heaven and earth as, I looked at earth as act one, completely separate from heaven, and then heaven as act two. And, you know, whatever you do here, it's just about getting there, and then you're there. Um, But what Lewis does is he merges this life and the next in a brilliant way. Um, Here's a quote from the book. It says, mortals say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And this is a process that starts here on earth. We are being prepared in this life for the next life. And there is a continuation. Our eternity starts now. We can bring heaven, you think about as a father, I can create a little slice of heaven for my family through my actions, for my kids, for my wife. Likewise, I could create hell on earth for my wife and my kids by my actions as a, as a husband and a father. At your workplace, you can make that a little slice of heaven. You can bring the kingdom of God into your work and start living in the future now. And that really is what Vineyard Doctrine is all about. The future is now and it's not yet. But that, that now part, we're ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. And like little outposts, you know, each one of us in our neighborhood your neighborhood, or your, or your house is an outpost of heaven. It's a little piece of the future in the present. And then uh, Lewis says this quote, I think earth, if chosen instead of heaven, will turn out to have been all along only a region of hell, and earth, if put second to heaven, to have been from the beginning a part of heaven itself. Yeah, that's pretty cool.
So how do we get to heaven? Uh, they, they did a Gallup did a poll a couple years ago, and uh, they asked Americans, you know, do you think you'll go to heaven? And for every one person that said, I don't think I'm going to make it, I think I'm going to go to hell, 120 said, I'm going to go to heaven. And yet Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. God gives us invitations. In Deuteronomy 30, he says, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. And all of life is an invitation from God. And ultimately, that invitation, what we choose to do with that invitation, will lead us to one place or the other, heaven or hell. And what Jesus is saying here is that very few will ever find it. And Otto touched on that a couple of weeks ago in his sermon um, when he was talking about Jesus seemed to drive away the crowds. Like he wanted people. Jesus was looking for people who said, who else do we have but you? You are our only hope. I want to read a little quote from Donald Miller. I think... um, you know, over time, especially in America, we have a lot of formulas, and that's how we think, right? Because all of us at work, we, we think in formulas and steps and uh, processes, procedures, do this and this will happen. And that's just the way our minds think as Americans. Um, but here's Donald Miller talking about this. He says, I started reading the Bible very differently. I stopped looking for the formulas and tried to understand what God was saying. When I did that, I realized the gospel of Jesus, I mean the essence of God's message to mankind, wasn't a bunch of hoops we needed to jump through to get saved. And it wasn't a series of ideas we had to agree with either. Rather, it was an invitation, an invitation to know God. The truth is, there are a million steps, and we don't even know what the steps are. And worse, at any given moment, we may not be willing or even able to take them. And still worse, they are different for you and for me, and they are always changing. I've come to believe the sooner we find this truth beautiful, the sooner we'll fall in love with God, who keeps shaking things up, keeps changing the path, keeps rocking the boat to test our faith in Him, teaching us not to rely on easy answers, bullet points, magic mantras, or genies and lamps, but rather to rely on His guidance, His existence, His mercy, and His love. I just think that's beautiful. I really feel like that goes along with Deuteronomy 30, where God says, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. And he says, I urge you to choose life so that you and your children may live long in the land. And really, when you think about it, every experience we have in this life, all the pain that we have, life is painful. Every painful thing that happens to us is an invitation from God. Come, come. I'll ease your burdens, and this is not going to be wasted. I'm going to teach you something through this. Everything that happens in our life is an invitation from God. And we can choose to ignore that. We can choose to satiate it, um, to medicate it, if you will. You know, you think about um, modern existence. You know, we come home, get the kids to bed, and then you sit in front of the TV and just zone out. I think a, a lot of times I catch myself. I'm not actively participating in this life. And this life is about a preparation for the next. God is preparing us through invitations. Uh, there will be judgment. Um, 
says, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. God is going to come in judgment. In Isaiah it says he will, speaking of Jesus, it says he will slay them with the breath of his mouth. So there will be a judgment. Why does there need to be judgment? God is perfect love. He's perfect truth. He's perfect beauty. Perfect grace. He defends those things. We have access to love. We have access to truth. We have access to beauty because God defends those things. And so his judgment actually creates a way for us. Um, And I just want to talk uh, briefly. This is mostly a message about heaven, but I want to take a small detour into hell. Um, A couple years ago, well, actually for the last eight years, eight and a half years, I've been driving up and down I-35 a lot uh, for my job. And I keep passing all these billboards about hell. And, you know, at first I was just like, okay, whatever. And after a while, it just really started to bug me. And I'm like, you know what, like, really, is this like what our message has come down to? Is this what we're presenting to the, to the world? We have eternal life. And we're talking about eternal condemnation. Instead of saying this is what's available to you, we're saying this is what will happen to you if you don't see things like we see things. If you don't accept Christ, this is what will happen to you. There will be a judgment, but why do, why do we hold that out? You know, and you think, about, think about all the youth camps. If, if you grew up in the church, you, know, you probably went to a lot of youth camps. And it, it was always based on, you know, there was always a message in there about hell and the fear of hell. And I never heard a sermon on the joy of heaven, which is so much more attractive. And so I just want to challenge us. Are we offering life to people or are we condemning people? God's the judge. Let's let him judge. Um, and, and while we're on that, real quickly, I want to talk about, as I was reading these verses this week, um, I noticed something. Um, in Revelation 20, or actually it's in Revelation 2, God says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. As I was reading that, I was like, tree of life, tree of life. I was like, oh yeah, the Garden of Eden. So I went back and I looked at that. And in the Garden of Eden, he says, um, after Adam and Eve sin, uh, God says, and now I must guard the tree of life. The man must not be allowed to eat it and to live. And so basically God was protecting man. He was saying, I will not let man become immortal. So I'm going to put this tree away. But that same tree reappears in Revelation, the tree of life. And he says, to he who overcomes, I give the right to eat from the tree of life. Which led me to believe we are, you know, along the way somewhere I picked up the idea that we're immortal, that our souls are immortal. But I think what that's, teaching is that we are, we are mortal people, and God gives us the right to eat from the tree of life. And then in uh, Revelation, well, and then Jesus says, um, do not be afraid of the one who can destroy the body, but be afraid of he, speaking of himself, who can destroy both the body and soul in hell, both body and soul. Um, and then in Revelation 20, it, it refers to, uh, after the great judgment, everyone is thrown into the lake of fire or those who are not found in Christ, are thrown into the lake of fire. And it says, this is the second death. Second death. So it got me thinking, um, and I actually did a little bit of research this week. Um, there's a, a theological theory called anni- annihilationism, which basically is that 
once people are judged, uh, unbelievers, when they're judged, they are destroyed. Their mortal souls are destroyed forever. Um, and I've got, if anybody's interested in it, I've got a four-page Word doc that I put together on it. Um, and just for equal time, I'm going to present the other side, which is eternal conscious torment. Um, in Matthew 25, uh, Jesus says, um, you will either enter into eternal punishment or eternal life. Uh, in Mark 9, he talks about hell being the place where the worm never dies. And in Revelation 14, it refers to the smoke of their torment rising forever and ever. I think that, you know, the traditional church position through the years has been that hell will be eternal conscious torment. Um, but as I was reading this week, um, I just, I saw something different in what I was reading. Um, and if you're interested in talking to me about it, um, you know, like I said, I've got a four-page Word doc that I put together on it. Um, but just think about that, the tree of life and the second death. Um, and I, I sent an email to Scott. I was like, Scott, I kind of have this crazy theory. Is that all right if I talk about it? He, he sent me an okay. Um, but hopefully, what I want to do, this is not all-inclusive. I'm not here bringing answers. But I want to get us thinking. Thinking about the nature of reality. Thinking about the nature of heaven. Thinking about the nature of hell. Thinking about the nature of salvation. You know, you look at the thief on the cross. He's with Jesus in paradise today. And what did he do? Did he live a great life? No, he lived a life that led him to being killed by the state. And yet, he turned to Jesus and said a kind word to him. He just said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't pray the sinner's prayer. He didn't go through all these steps and a formula. He just turned and said a kind word to Jesus. And I think in the end, um, actually, we, there, there's another C.S. Lewis quote that we'll get to in a minute. Um, and on the, on the topic, annihilationism is different than universalism. Universalism says everybody's going to hell. It's all going to be okay. You don't have nothing to worry about. Um, and C.S. Lewis had a comment on this in The Great Divorce. He said, you need to um, be careful about that type of thinking. Uh, because where it will lead you, a dog in the manger will become the tyrant of the universe. So basically he's saying, anyone who, if, if it's true that all are saved, then anyone who holds out, basically can hold the universe hostage until they decide, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to finally bow my knee to Christ. What we choose, we choose, just like God said in Deuteronomy 30, the choices that we make, are, we choose heaven or hell. And right now we can start living in light of heaven. We can live our lives based on the reality of heaven. Or we can choose to ignore it and choose hell. Um, and then moving on, there'll be two judgments of believers. Um, oh, yeah, here we go with uh, C.S. Lewis. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find, to those who knock, the door is opened. And, and that last line is, Jesus' words. Um, for believers, for those of us who are going to heaven, we'll face two judgments. The first is a judgment of faith. Either we're found in Christ or we're not found in Christ. We, are, we will be found in Christ. And so the second judgment we'll face, you know, all our sins, as far as the east is from the west, 
what the things that we we've done they're gone there's no record of them but we'll face uh, the Bible says we'll face uh, judgment on the based on the good things that we did um, and this verse is from first uh, Corinthians and it says if anyone builds on this foundation using gold silver costly stones wood hay or straw their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work if what has been done survives the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet he will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So just this idea that there'll be rewards in heaven. And there's many more verses beyond that one, but that's uh, the one I picked for the sake of time. So, so what does that mean, that we'll be, there'll be rewards in heaven? It means that the things that we do on this earth, the good things, the things that we've done for God, are going to survive. They'll live on, and we'll be rewarded for those. But you think about the nature of rewards in heaven. There'll be no jealousy. So those who receive a greater reward will have a heart of generosity, and they will share with those who receive the less reward. Those with the less reward will be happy for those who receive the greater reward. And even beyond that, it's a mystery. You know, how could there be different levels of rewards? How could we not all get the same thing? But you think about... um, just think about what Jesus said. To whom much has been given, much will be required. Um, and you think about, when I think about levels of rewards, I think about some young mother in Africa. And her husband cheated on her and uh, got AIDS. And now the whole family has AIDS. Her husband's died. This young woman is raising her kids by herself. They're dying. She's dying. But she's faithful to God. And in that, she's got joy. She walks with God. No, none of us have ever seen her. She's living an anonymous life in some village in Africa, but God sees it all. He knows her heart. He knows the struggles that she's been through. I was thinking as uh, we, we, Jen and I watched the Oscars last Sunday night, and you know, I was getting like a little emotional, which is kind of funny, because like, these are the most spoiled people on earth, right? But just seeing somebody get a reward, it's like, it's neat. And it, but it got me thinking about heaven. What is it going to be like when that young African mother stands up there, anonymous her whole life, and she receives a hero's welcome and the applause of the angels? That's going to be a powerful moment. And then in, uh, moving on, this is uh, from Titus, Titus 2. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unwickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So I think the purification process that was talked about there, the fire that burns up, you know, the hay and the stubble, uh, that, that process has already begun. God is purifying us today. And he's, he's getting us ready for heaven. Heaven's going to blow our minds. And we need to start getting ready for it here. He's already started the purification process. And then here's, a, here's another interesting concept. You know, I'd always thought that heaven, like uh, my grandfather died. Uh, back in the 90s. And I always thought where he was, like he was getting a head start on heaven, that where he was, um, 
would, the place that we'd be for the rest of our lives. But actually, uh, the Bible teaches that there's, where believers are today is different than from where our eternal home is. And so for all of us who have loved ones who have already gone to meet Jesus, we will get to see our eternal home for the first time together. Um, and this is what it says. Where can I read this? Yeah, that's too, too light. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to read there. But, <laughs> but I know where it is, so. This is from uh, Revelation 20. So this is at the end of time. The, uh, Christ has already reigned for a thousand years on earth. Uh, Satan has been judged for the final time. All unbelievers have been cast into the lake of fire. And then the new heaven and the new earth descends. And I believe that will actually be here on this earth. In Second Peter, it talks about, it's talking about how uh, God destroyed the earth in Noah's time. He destroyed it with a flood. And then he says the next time will be with fire. And it says the fire will raise everything and the earth will be laid bare. And you think about the nature of fire. What do farmers do? They burn their fields, right? And we get the smoke from that um, every spring when they're burning all the fields uh, south of here. And, and what does that do? It, it purifies the soil. It refines it. It makes it productive again. And so I believe that there will be a ref- the fire that destroys the earth will be a refining fire. Um, and I would feel very silly saying that up here um, if I didn't have a John Piper quote to back me up. Um, John Piper argues that God did not create matter to throw it away. He writes, when Revelation 21 and 2 Peter 3.10 say that the present earth and heavens will pass away, it does not mean that they go out of existence, but may mean that there will be such a change in them that their present condition passes away. We might say the caterpillar passes away and the butterfly emerges. There is a real passing away, and there is a real continuity, a real connection. And then Wayne Grudem, he's got this book about this big called uh, Systematic Theology. And he says, uh, Wayne Grudem, in his discussion of 2 Peter 3.10, which speaks of everything in the earth being laid bare, suggests that Peter may not be speaking of the earth as a planet, but rather the surface things on the ground. And then John notes that when believers die, what they have done to the earth Christ's glory will follow them into heaven. So I believe that the the new heavens and the new earth will descend here on earth and that the earth will be purified. And what that does, you think about what Jesus did. When he came, he became a man. He lived among us. You think about, I I love the, the picture of him after his resurrection. He comes down and he's with the disciples and they're eating fish on the beach. Everything that Jesus did gave dignity to our lives gave dignity to the physicality of our existence. Jesus himself will be a physical man for the rest of eternity. He has chosen that. God, who is spirit, has chosen to enter into space and time, to a physical existence, and we will walk with him for eternity. 
I just think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and it takes a little bit of the edge off of, you know, I really want to go to New Zealand or Scotland, where this picture is from. Um, but it kind of takes the edge off. Because uh, if, if this earth, if, if a physical earth is going to be around for eternity, I'm going to have an eternity to explore it. And we'll get to explore it together with our loved ones. Um, and here's a verse. Uh, it says, for the creation waits, and this is from Romans 8, for creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, creation itself was subject to frustration and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. That's awesome. Earth itself, you know, and I kept saying about you this week, Kelly, and all your work with the trees. That's blessed. God has blessed physicality. He's blessed what he created. When he created, he said it's good. Man, man through his sin, has been in a, a many thousand year process of destroying the earth. We're not accepting our man, mandate from God. We're not being good stewards of the earth. And because of that, the earth groans. Groans for what? For destruction? No, for restoration. And you look at what Jesus did. He restored things. He redeemed things. You know, the blind man, he didn't say, all right, uh, I'm just going to blow up your head. No, he restored his sight. He made him whole, which he could have done, you know, and would have been pretty cool. Um, but earth, earth matters. Matter matters. So what does this mean, living in light of heaven? Well, I think one thing... You know, from the quote that Jeff read at the beginning, we need to let our imagination fly upon the truth. Let your imagination fly upon the truth that's found in Scripture. Start thinking about it. What is it going to be like? You know, after Noah got out of the ark, he said, I now give you, speaking to man, speaking to Noah, he said, I now give you the animals of the earth to eat. So prior to that time, what does that tell us? That man was a vegetarian. In Isaiah, it says, the lion will lay with the lamb and a little child shall lead them. So there's going to be harmony in nature. There's going to be harmony between man and nature. I was thinking about you, Otto, this week. I was thinking, oh, it's going to be so cool, Otto, fly fishing. And I was like, no, there probably won't be any fishing in heaven. because There's going to be harmony between <laughs> man and nature. But then, then I thought, what if it becomes a game? <laughs> like hide and seek. And the fish, actually, like, they enjoy it, and they start taunting you. <laughs> But I, even then, I was thinking about, well, you know, he's out there with his flies, but it'll have to be like lettuce or something, because they won't eat flies even. So, But it just makes you, it's fun to start thinking about these things. What is heaven going to be like? But, and you think about our relationship with those that we love. You know, when I, I talked to my wife about this, she's like, I don't want to think about heaven, because I don't know, you know, what our relationship's going to be like. Well, I want to be with you forever, and I'm afraid that won't happen. Well, you think about God and the nature of God. God lives in communion with himself. He's lived in perpetual, eternal communion with himself, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Relationships matter to God. God had close friends on this earth, and I believe they'll, they will be his very close friends in heaven. Everything matters. There's two sayings that are equally true. Um, my favorite singer, Patty Griffin, she says... Um, 
um, in the end, there's some things. Basically, she's saying that nothing matters except for some things which mean everything. But then there's also, which is true, it's, at times there's things, that everything passes away, but what is important. But at the same time, if there's going to be animals in heaven, there's going to be earth, mountains. If we're going to eat in heaven, it talks about a banquet. And food matters. Animals matter. The way we treat animals matter. The way we treat food matters. The way, the way that we eat, the way that we treat our bodies. We'll, we'll receive new bodies, but we're being trained to take care of our bodies here on earth. And so it is true that there's some things that only those things matter. But in a sense, God says, no, everything matters. Um, and then I'll, here's another verse I'm going to struggle to read. Uh, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to, in order to fill, fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Can you help me out, Steve? Thanks. I just love this, this idea of shining like stars. When he says, you shine like stars. And basically, that's what we're called to do. That's, what, that's our, our mission right here on earth, is to shine like stars in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our community, in our hobbies. If you're, if you're a bowler and you go out with the guys and bowl, shine like a star there among them. Be an ambassador for heaven. Offer people invitations, just like Jesus did, or God did in Deuteronomy 30. Offer that invitation. Listen, I'm on the path to life and prosperity. Let me tell you about it. And then here, finally, can you see that, Emily? Thank you. So that was Job and Job 19. So even then, he was looking forward. You know, as they say that Job was the, the uh, Job lived in the time of Genesis. Um, it's later in the Bible, but if you read one of those uh, uh, sequential Bibles, Job comes right away. So right there from the very, very beginning, he's saying, I'm looking forward to the day when I will see God with my very eyes, and I will walk with him. And he says, oh, how my heart yearns within me. We are mortal people who have been offered immortality through Jesus Christ. And we will live with him forever if we choose to accept his invitation. It will be not a static life, but a dynamic life full of all kinds of opportunities. You know, when I think of God, a lot of times I get an image of, you know, you think about Mel Gibson and Braveheart. He just kind of has that twinkle in his eye. God's wild like that. And it's going to be an adventure. In the New Jerusalem, there's 12 gates, and they're, they're open. They're always open, which suggests what? They're coming and going. Adventure. People going off to adventure together. Living forever in harmony with both man and nature. Relationships restored. And peace.
Thanks, guys.